Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Melissa. Melissa Rhonda is a weight loss coach, podcaster of Bad Bitches Losing Weight, an all-around bad bitch who has been helping women lose massive amounts of weight for over seven years. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Melissa, you've been through some shit. We're not going <laughs> to hold back any punches here. I'd love to have you take us back to where it, where it all began. Where did it begin for you? Oh. It's such a loaded question. And I'm I love sure... loaded questions. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone makes that joke where they're like, well, I was born in. <laughs> well, I make that joke all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I would say the start for me was um, probably when I, I got sick and you can't see this, but I'm doing like air quotes. I thought that I was sick. I was in a lot of pain. And I, I couldn't sleep that great. I had achy joints, specifically like my knees and my hands were really bad. At this time, I was married to my ex-husband. And uh, spoiler alert, he was the problem. <laughs> but well, no, I really, me tolerating him was the problem, I should say. We don't want to be victims here. But um, I went to doctors and they actually thought that I had uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. which is like an autoimmune disease. Although none of the markers came back that I had it, uh, I had enough of the physical symptoms that they felt that I did and uh, proceeded to jolt me up like you would not believe. So fast forward a few years, if that even, I was on antidepressants, uh, sleeping pills, um, autoimmune suppressants. I was getting shots in my kneecaps. Mm. Um, super gross, right? Um, and I was addicted to Vicodin. So I just got to a point, like I know everyone wants to have that magic moment where they're like, fuck this. And, and they just draw a line in the sand. It, it wasn't really like that. It was um, coming to terms with uh, so much, uh, the addiction, the codependent marriage and so much. And I end up having to just leave my ex-husband who is now a heroin addict, by the way. Oh no. Yeah. So, um, and I detox myself, which I do not recommend, nor does any doctor on the laying on the floor in my old bedroom in my mom's, uh, my mom's house on a wrestling mat. That's what she gave me and my children to sleep on. So anyways, long story short, I just had this massive journey ahead of me and I had no idea. And I decided that I was never going to take another pill and I was going to take fucking control of my life, take control of my body, my health and everything. And I started lifting weights and I changed my entire life. In six months, I lost 60 pounds and I was no longer on any medications, like completely oh, wow. off everything. Yeah. Um, so I, it turned out I wasn't sick. Um, no doctor thought to ask me if I was happy. 
Yeah. Like, that's fucking crazy, right? Like, they, no one said, is everything okay at home? You know, um, what are you eating? Are you moving? You know? And I was at points where I wasn't even showering for mm, days. That's depression. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. It was like, so when you take uh, immune suppressants, a lot of times they will give you a depre- like depression-like symptoms. So that's why they were giving me antidepressants. You know, I guess it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Right. But long story short, that's what led me to where I am today because I, I realized like, oh, wait a minute. It's not just about addiction and it's not just about food, you know, because I'd always been obese my whole life. It's not a, it's so big, it's so much fucking bigger than that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like how you engage with other people, what you tolerate, uh, what you expect from yourself and, you know, just so much. It just, it's brought me to where I am today and I never would have expected it. <laughs> so what was the detoxing like, like for you? What were the kind of, like you said, they don't recommend you do it on your own. So what was that like? Well, you know, what's very interesting is when you take so many Vicodin, um, you don't feel anything, Mm. but you don't feel good either. Oh, it's like, I, you get to the point where you're taking it and that's your quote normal. But if I felt like that now I would die, you know? Yeah. But, um, I just remember feeling a lot of things that I wasn't ready to feel. And if you took my if you took me right now and gave me those exact feelings, I could totally handle it. Right. Because I I would be breathing deeply. I would be managing my mindset. I would be eating properly, sleeping properly, taking baths, all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you're an addict, you're none of those things. You do none of those things. So you just kind of lay there and, and let it happen. I remember it felt like my head was in a vice grip. Um, And what ended up happening is I got off of it, but then a few months later, I was still in so much pain and my body like was really experiencing actual physical pain. Like I had like restless leg syndrome and stuff, but it was like months after it was just Mm -hmm. part of the, the process. So I ended up going to a doctor who put me on Suboxone which Mm -hmm. is, um, it's a medication that it's like a sublingual tab that a lot of people will use to get off of opioids. So he gave me that, which managed the pain. And I can't remember now correctly, but it it was probably at least, I feel as though, like, I remember it as that I was actually on the Suboxone twice as long as I was actually on the Vicodin. Because oh, it wow. takes, yeah, because you step it down, you know? Mm. Um, so that last six months was when I was like, fuck this. I am, I'm going to, I'm really ready, you know? Um, but what's interesting now is like with strength training that I feel, I allow myself to feel pain and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. You know? And I think that the old me had just been in so much emotional pain that it was like I couldn't even manage any more stimulation of any form, you know? Right. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And you're, fa- <laughs> you're facing a lot, 
you know, you're facing like, holy shit, like, how did I get here? Right. And what do I have to do if I don't want to be here anymore? You know, it's not just facing an addiction. It's not like I had like this great spouse. I mean, he's a heroin addict. So he went from Vicodin to, you know, heroin. So it's not like I had a support system of any kind. I was just fucking screwed. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I would never take any of it back. I would never. Because when women tell me like, oh, this is hard, I'm like, fuck you. You can do such hard things, you know? I, I feel like I had to go through that to really understand what hard is. Yeah, I think we're given certain things in our lives to kind of push us to that edge and hopefully not over the edge, but push us to the edge of like, how much can you take? Because later on in life, something else comes at you and you're like, I got this, bitch. <laughs> Isn't that nuts, though, the way that that, the way that happens, right? You like, I mean, obviously now I know all these things, like this is how confidence is built, right? you experience things, enough things, and then you go, well, I can, I'm, you know, available to feel any feeling and I'm cool with that. Um, but it, it is interesting how it doesn't have to be linear. Like the drug addiction taught me things about building a business or the drug addiction taught me about being a better mom. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same lesson. Yeah. Yeah. How did your kids fare during all that? Like, I, I was, I was um, in a relationship with a drug addict and alcoholic, and he was an awful human being um, when he was on drugs and drinking. I'm not saying you were, uh, but um, he wasn't the best dad in the world, but now he's sober and he is like such a great dad to our daughter. I mean, we're not together anymore. So how did that all go with your kids? Well, I was definitely a, I don't know what, how I would explain this, that like, you know how they call people like a functioning alcoholic, which is like yes. an ox, it's an oxymoron. I get that. I'm not right. saying that, but I was just using it to get out, like to manage, you know what I mean? And I had doctors giving it to me. And so it wasn't like I was on the street trying to buy it from people. So it felt in my mind at the time, no, they're telling you you're sick, you're very sick, and they're giving you these pills and you take them. Mm -hmm. So I was functioning as a mom with chronic pain. Yeah. I didn't see myself as like an addict, right? Mm -hmm. So I got up every morning and made my kids breakfast. They were like one in three at the time. So yeah. they don't even remember any of it. Um, so thank God for that. But I think on the outside, I know for fact on the outside, um, my dad who passed away a couple of years ago, he, he had no idea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I must have yeah. been doing a really good job of it acting like- It looked like, like you a, had your shit together. Yeah. And that's always me. I'm always like, everything's fine, you know, because um, I just would bear the weight of the marriage and you know, he was chronically unemployed and I'm like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And I just take a pill and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So it wasn't like you see on Breaking Bad with meth heads. It was right. like, you know what I mean? I was like yeah. a actually pretty damn good mom at the time. 
Yeah. Well, I have to say, like, my ex's addictions had uh, taken a turn for the worse. Um, so he was, he stole my my medication they gave me after my C-section and took it all because he thought I didn't need it. My painkillers after a C-section. Yeah. Oh, no, I think he knew you needed it. Don't yeah. you think? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, and I, he says he didn't think I needed it. I don't know what he thought was thinking. I think he thought that he just, he needed it more than I did. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> so he's, he definitely got really bad at some point in time. So he was beyond functioning. But when I first met him, he was definitely a functioning drug addict and alcoholic. You couldn't tell. You had no idea. So maybe you just hadn't gotten to a point where it was that bad. Yeah, I never would have because I, like, I didn't have great parenting. Right. So it's really important to me to be a good parent. Yeah. But it's interesting because when you're in it, you don't really, you don't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you think you were raised by someone who, you know, my mom would say like, I was such a great mom. You're just- My mom too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> total fucking narcissist. I, you know, I'm, um, I'm a great mom. You're all just a bunch of spoiled little bitches and yeah, whatever. Right. So I, I just didn't have the skill set I think I needed to manage, you know? Yeah, no, I completely understand. But you obviously managed well to a certain extent if people couldn't even tell on the outside of what was going on in the inside. I mean, you're, yeah, but I want you to understand how quickly it fucking happens too. You know what I mean? Right. Like I think it was from like the like the shit hitting the fan till just everything going up in flames probably was only six months total. Like I don't think it was the beginning. I think I like slowly got addicted, but when, but not slowly got addicted, but like the first few months, it wasn't a problem. Right. And then about three months was when it really just got bananas. And over a six month period, it happened that quickly. And I do remember specifically looking in the mirror going like, what the fuck happened? You know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't react in that moment, but I remember having, those particular kind of thoughts until I the, just finally broke. I remember listening to a TEDx talk from somebody who um, was addicted to opioids and he talked about how the doctors aren't well versed enough in how much somebody should be taking and how to wean them off and um, how long somebody should be on opioids and all these things where he was like, I was lost. I wanted to get off of them. And the doctor had no idea. They tried to take me off too quickly. And he was like, and then I was like having these withdrawal symptoms. And he was like, and then I had to go back on them. And he was like, it was a hot mess. Um, and it was over. I think he, he jacked up. He broke a leg. He broke his leg mm -hmm. and then ended up getting addicted to opioids. And he was like, I, I had no idea. It was kind of like how you explained it, where it was just like one moment, everything's okay. And one moment, everything's just like, what, what the fuck has happened? Yeah. Because on the outside, you're hearing the story and obviously, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And you're an outsider looking in, but when you're in it, you have to remember that like you're, you're having, your mind is impaired. You know, so your mind is looking through a lens that's completely different 
So it doesn't process the information the way that it would afterwards. When you look back on it, you go, oh yeah, that was the moment shit started to get real. Like you see it afterwards. But when you're in it, you're like, no, 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 I'm sick and I need these pills. Also, it's really nice the way that that person and then the TEDx put it because I think it's much more demonic than that. Oh, in yeah? my pers- in my personal experience, I I this is actually the best part. I didn't even tell you this. The doctor that gave me the Vicodin was a naturopath. So not a napropath, a naturopath. Like so a doctor that worked out of a chiropractor's office that was um fronting as though she was giving natural remedies but she was the one who started to encourage me to use the Vicodin. At, by the end of the time that I was with this doctor, I was going to the chiropractor three times a week. I was getting stim. I was getting massage. I was on various supplements that I was purchasing from their offices, a bunch of urine samples, stool samples, all sorts of things. Here's the thing about an addict. Once you get someone hooked, they have to come back every 30 days. Right. To get their prescription filled. If you're not addicted and you just decide you don't want to go to your chiropractor anymore, you just don't go. Right. Right. But when you're addicted, you have to come because you'll have, you'll experience sickness. And they know that. I'm not suggesting that every doctor is that way, but I am suggesting that it's not, it's not like doctors don't know. It's their fucking job to know. Yeah. So they're playing ignorance. Yeah. And with insurance, you know, they have a very specific amount of time in which they can be in the room with you, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're at these bigger offices, they, they're timing everything that you're doing in these charts. They don't have the time in that room to have a conversation that they really need to fucking have with you. Right. And frankly, they don't want to. They're like, fine, take your fucking pills. I'll see you in 30. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think a lot of times I say, you know, I think a a mixture of Eastern and Western medicine is what we really need to be healthy. um, Because no, I I don't want to go without my mood stabilizers for bipolar disorder, because that is bad. (laughs) But I also don't think everything needs to be here's a pill, right? Because there's so many other things like you said, when you were talking earlier about all the, the issues you were having, these all stem from you being unhappy and things that were going on in your life and what you were eating and not sleeping and all these things, which nobody took time to ask you, which is the Eastern part of things where I think doctors need to have more time and do more of what are you eating? How are your sleeping habits? Like, what is your lifestyle outside of this office? Because then I think so many things could be resolved instead of here's a pill. Right. But it's easier. And even, you know, in what I do for work, right? I think it's it's interesting that this has now come to fruition because so many people come to me wanting the magic pill. Right. Right. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the work that, I mean, obviously the, the that's not my ideal client, right? But most people want the the quick fix. Mm-hmm. And that, and that was the same thing. Like if a doctor would have said to me, you know, you need to eat well, I had such larger fish to fry, you know, a raging mm-hmm. codependent relationship, you know, just so much 
drama and trauma and pain that I would have been like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? I think it had it to, and so I know that's a cloudy message because I don't love the way the doctors do it, but I also feel on the other side of it, like everything happened for the exact reason that it did, you know? Right. Right. I think it takes baby steps and they couldn't just come at you and be like, you need to eat better and you need to sleep and you need to work out and you need to get out of this relationship. But not asking any of those questions is the problem. You know, I think everyone should be prescribed a life coach. That's what I think. <laughs> before, before you can get any medication, you need a life coach. Or a therapist. <laughs> yeah, but you know, um, what I love about life coaches that I find out, I actually have a, several friends that are psychologists that now have life coaching businesses. Yeah, I've seen are definitely like infused in, um, you know, both areas. But what I love about specifically life coaching, if it's done right, is there's like, there, I like actionable steps to take. And I found anytime I've gone to therapy, they're like, I'll listen to you bitch for an hour. And it's just going to validate the stories you want to hear. And it's just going to keep ingraining them in your brain. And they just let you complain. Oh, not my therapist. They make me do work. <laughs> oh, well, then I just needed a new therapist. But I, I struggled for a long time to find somebody to like, give me give me work to do, you know? Yeah, and it's hard freaking work. That they, it's emotionally draining. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Can't I just tell you all my problems and they magically go away? And they're like, that's not how that works. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Thank you. I've had two, two in a row. The first one I had, I got to be honest, she was the one that you just talk at her and, and basically things, and a lot of things were resolved, but there were a lot of underlying things that didn't get resolved, which is why I ended up going to therapist number two, um, because I had an emotional breakdown and I was like, I need a therapist again. And so she, she did not let me off the hook. She made me do some work, some really hard emotional work. And then I'm on ther therapist number three, cause I moved. And she's, she doesn't fuck around that one. She's, <laughs> she's like, you might have to come see me every single week when we get to this certain point, because she's like, it's going to be some hard work. And I was like, what? No, I don't want to, but I know yeah. in the end it'll be a lot better. So tell us a little bit about some of the internal work you've done. Cause there's no way you would have went from that, that, you know, very toxic relationship being addicted to Vicodin, being, oh, you said obese. That's what you said when you, that's how you described it when you applied. So I'm not, I'm not pulling that out my ass people. No, yeah, I was obese. <laughs> um, to now where you're living, you're in a very healthy marriage from what I'm assuming by what you've told me. Um, you are doing well with your own business and your own health and you know, you have, you have your shit together ish because we all don't have it hundred percent together. That's why I say ish. There's nobody out there that can be like, I got it together. So good. Everything goes great all the time, but for the most part. So how did you get from there to where you are today? There had to have been some internal work that went on there. Oh my God. Every day there's internal work. <laughs> every, it is the work that is all the work. I, my business saved me because originally I, so I went and got my certification in nutrition and I was working with my clients, creating such 
fucking amazing stuff for them. And I couldn't understand why these people would pay me their quote hard earned money and then not do the thing, you know? And that was when I said, there's something else going on here. So when I went on my journey and I started lifting weights, like I literally thought it was like, no, I just needed to lift weights. That's my church, you know, and uh, I just need my headphones and that's my therapy. I, I did not really come to terms with all of the trauma I had until I could see myself in all of my clients around me because, you know, we're just mirrors and and we just, and and we attract people that it's like a yin and a yang, you know, and, and, and people see themselves in you. And so then they become your client and it's always easier to see someone else's bullshit, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. You're like, oh my God, she is just so, she's in a codependent relationship what is up in your, and then like the whole time I'm in a super codependent relationship, you know? So I think that seeing the dysfunction in, uh, in my clients, to be honest with you, many years back in realizing there's so much more going on there, you know, there's, sto- there's stories about all of them. And it, it is something like, you know, they asked their husband several times to do something and he doesn't do the thing and she doesn't understand why he won't do the thing because if it's important to her, then why won't he do that for her if he loves her? And then she goes in the kitchen and she pours a glass of wine and she eats some crackers and cheese or whatever and she's pissed off and she's resentful and she feels like shit. She goes to bed, she wakes up, repeats the process and she asks herself, is this all there is to fucking life? you know? And I, I, that was me. And that is so many women I work with. So, so weight loss really isn't about, you know, a fucking diet, is it? Oh my gosh. No. And it shouldn't be anyways. Yeah. And (laughs) so I teach women, I do teach them the functional stuff of like how to eat right and meal prep and, you know, like balanced meals and all. And I give them everything that they need. I teach them how to strength train. But to me, it's more about the, like, the confidence that you build through strength training that mm-hmm. ends up, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so I just, I just have this insatiable thirst to learn. Mm-hmm. And I've just been processing my stuff. I still, I'm glad you said the ish thing, because <laughs> I realize that I, um, you know, how people are like, when somebody, um, hurts you and they say, well, you, sh- you can forgive them, you know? Yeah. And to I, a point there's I'm, a, there's an end game there. Like people are like, you should just forgive your parents and then you can let them back in your life. No bitch. That's not how that works. If I forgive my parents, which I I'm working on, um, not for them, for me. Um, but, uh, they're not coming back in my life. Yeah, but it's not mutually exclusive. Like you can forgive them and never talk to them again. Right. Exactly. You can release that. But what I've decided is I don't want to. I rather like it. I want to be angry at her. It doesn't necessarily affect the rest of my life. It doesn't, um, you know what I mean? If it Um, did, then it would be a problem. But if it's not, then yes, be angry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I used to think, well, I don't forgive her because if I forgive her, then I'll want to let her back in. And I realized that's not true. Like I, I can forgive her. 
and I'm, I'm making smaller steps. The closer that I get, the more that I learn about how time is a circle and, and she had some radically effed up parents that raised mm-hmm. her, raised a narcissist. Right? right. So then I think about my grandpa and I'm like, and my grandma, I'm like, wow, how must they have been treated if they raised a narcissist and mm-hmm. a psychopath, right? My brother's schizophrenic, my, and my uncle killed himself, um, on father's day just to piss off his kids. Oh my so gosh. It's a cycle. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then when I think about it that way, sometimes I'll say to myself, like, well, I can, I have a little compassion for her. Same. I have compassion for both my parents. My dad is a full-blown narcissist. His mom is the devil incarnate. Um, And I can totally see why he is the way he is. My mom, I think that she wasn't like this until she got with my dad and had a 13-year relationship with a narcissist. And then I think that just destroyed her soul. And now... She just won't do the work to, to become a non-devil. Uh. Yeah, a lot of, um, you know, codependency and, and narcissists really snuggle up nice. And the thing is, it's like they fuel each other, right? You know mm-hmm. all these things. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You're telling but, the audience, though. They may not know. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hard because the codependent is like just the gasoline to the narcissist Mm -hmm. and they just continue to validate the narcissism and it's such a sick cycle. Yeah. And I think my mom was caught in in it for 13 years and she continues. She's never been single her entire life since she got with my dad when she was 18 and I'm, I'm 33. So 33 years, she's never been single for like more than five seconds. And so she continues to go to these, relationships after relationships after relationships and they always end because this guy's a dickhead and he did whatever and you know now that then she gets into another relationship and I'm like she's never been alone so she doesn't know who she is she's very codependent on whoever she is in a relationship with and they don't even have to be a narcissist like she's just codependent on whoever she's with and she I feel sorry for her because I'm like if you would just go and in my breakup letter to her I said until you get the help you need, I can't, I cannot have a relationship with you because she needs to get help because she went through some really traumatic experiences in her life and she needs to heal those in order to, to stop this cycle because she takes her anger and aggression and frustration out on me. And then of course it's a cycle. It repeats itself over and over and over again. Shoot, everything will be fine she'll be good. She'll respect my boundaries. And then what do you know? The next thing happens, something triggers her. And I'm now the, like, I'm the reason her whole life sucks basically in her head. And so you're, it's exactly what you were talking about where she's a codependent in all of her relationships. Yeah. And then that causes you to put some walls up, right? Because you're like, every time I'm vulnerable, every Mm -hmm. time I, Every time, you know what, for me, it was like, every time I get excited and I think, maybe I'm going to get a real mom. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, it's so sad. I'm like, oh, like, no, but maybe, you know, she's getting older. So um, I'm 40 and I think she's in her mid seventies now. And so, you know, you kind of change in your old age. So sometimes I'll like, well, maybe she's going to soften, you know, and then she'll send me some like seven page terrible letter in the mail or, you know, 
as I was telling you before we started, uh, reviewing my podcast negatively. It's <laughs> <laughs> such you're a vindictive like, thing to do. I know, and I'm like, you're like 76 years old and that's what you're doing. But when you're that kind of person, you've, you have nothing else anymore because you're terrible. Nobody wants to be around you. Right. My dad, the narcissist, apparently listens to my podcast. He told my sister, he has a friend that listens to my podcast That's and exactly tells him my mom said people what I you. say. Yes, people are I'm like, what fucking person is listening to every one of my podcast episodes and reporting back unless it's his wife? Like who the fuck is doing this? Shit? Telling Nobody. You, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and you're listening to my podcast. Like, yeah, it's sad though when you think about it that way, right? Right. Like, they're still trying to control you and Oh boy, that's such heavy stuff. It's heavy, heavy stuff. But that's why, like, to bring that back, like, if a doctor would have said to me, Are you happy? I might have even just said it, yeah, because I didn't even know any better at the time, you know? Right. Right. Well, the whole point, and when you said you don't know, you didn't know how to be a parent because you weren't taught how to parent, right? We also don't know what healthy relationships are if we've never seen one. Dude, I'm still working on that. My husband is so wonderful, but I, too. I function on guilt because that's how it, she raised me, you know, right. like, um, you know, just everything to, to quote, make you feel bad, which I believe as an adult, no one can make you feel anything. You, you are in charge of your feelings, but when you're a kid and you're, and your mm-hmm. brain is developing and you're told those things. So my husband won't even ask for certain things, but I'll, I'll like put emotions on, I'll project emotions onto things like, oh, well, he's going to be really upset if I don't do this thing. So I want to do the thing. And, you know, and it's interesting because it's a different, it's the complete opposite of the woman that my whole entire brand is. But in my most intimate relationships, I struggle because I really am. I know this is so bad for the brand, but I'm really very nice. Even though my podcast is called Bad Bitches, I'm like very, I just want to be a good girl at heart. I think we all do. But you probably have a snarky bitch somewhere inside of there. No, I'm a fucking bitch. And I will, because I I will (laughs) smack. Well, the word bitch is about taking it back. Oh, I agree. Because I was always the woman to... I didn't want people to be upset with me. I didn't want my mom to be upset. I grew up, you know, it was like unsure footing. So I was constantly navigating complicated relationships and I just wanted everybody to be fucking happy. So they would shut the fuck up. Right. Right. And so I learned the best way to do that is just give everyone what they want all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and I never learned what it was like to have my own opinions or that they were more important because if I, I expressed them to be more important, I felt like a selfish little bitch, which is what my mom used to call me, right? Yeah. So it's, um, it's really, I, I've, I've taken, I've wanted to use that word because I know so many women emotionally eat and drink too much at night, you know, like, that's a big problem for women in their forties and their functioning women that are having three glasses of wine, four glasses of wine every single night to get by, you know, because they don't want to be the bitch because they want to give to everybody else all the time. And they, and they're martyrs, you know? 
Yeah, no, totally. I, I totally get it. And so you're taking back ownership of that word. You're like, you know what? You, you can call me a bitch all you want. Cause guess what? I'm going to take ownership of that. I'm like, yes, I am a bitch. So when I say, I always say it, I'm like, I'm a snarky bitch. People think I'm like the nicest person ever. And I'm like, dude, if you only knew what goes on inside my head sometimes, <laughs> you'd be like, she's mm-hmm. such a bitch. Well, you should let it out. See, and I think there's ways that I think people think it's either black or white. You're either nice or you're bitch. But I, what I bring to the table is the gray area in between. When, when someone says, can you do this thing? You just say, oh no, but thanks for thinking of me. Right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to be a fucking bitch, but you also don't have to go, oh no, I'd really love to, but I can't because I have to do this thing and I'm really sorry. Like I don't fucking say I'm sorry. Right. Don't say you're sorry unless you are sorry. Like why say you're sorry if you're busy? I just busy. But I used to wear the, use the word sorry. Like it was just like a filler word, you know? Sorry. Sorry. Excuse me. Sorry. You know? But I think like being a, being a bad bitch doesn't mean you have to like flick people off. It means you can flick people, like you can kind of flick them off without, uh, without them even sort of knowing, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right? Like, um, if somebody annoying is DMing you, the old Melissa would have been like, who the fuck does this bitch think she is blowing up my phone, blah, 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 blah. Right. And Melissa now is like, that's that lady's problem. I don't, I'm just not going to answer it. You right. know, the same way. Yeah. I used to respond like, do you know how offensive it is that you just assume that I need to lose weight? Cause I mean, seriously, I, every time at the end of the year, and I know I used to be a fitness coach. I was trained the same way. Some of these people are trained. The end of the year is the best time to get clients. Cause new year's Eve is coming up and new year's resolutions. Um, and I, I used to respond to people like that. Like, I used to be a fitness coach. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Blah, blah, blah. And now I'm just like, I just don't respond. <laughs> yeah, just don't, right? Because that's the whole know. thing that's about like the mom thing, right? Like that's the next level, right? right? Where you're like holding boundaries and they're not, it's not affecting you, mm-hmm. which is new for me. And that's really the work that I do that's now. Hard. It is hard because yeah. I expect in my brain, I want everyone to behave with as much love and respect as I show everyone else. But when in truth be told, people will treat you however you let them. And if you let them walk all over you, they, they will, you know, just because you or I would never do that to somebody else. Doesn't mean that the rest of the world is more selfish than, than a codependent, (laughs) you know? Yeah. The rest of the world can be pretty selfish. And when I say there's a snarky bitch inside of my head, I have a filter that stops that from coming out in ways that it shouldn't. It still comes out just in a, in a, a more polite. <laughs> am I, am I correct to assume that are you less snarky bitch in person? I am less snarky bitch in person. I know I could tell. I think yeah. that your podcast is like an outlet. Oh no. I'm the same kind of snarky bitch in person that I am on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, there's the, it's the same person, like whether you meet me in person or on the podcast. No, I just mean it's worse in my head than oh. what comes out on the podcast. Because sometimes for me, I'll put my headphones on or I'll do a Facebook live and I go into this zone where I'm just sort of like 
it's like next level. And I'll say things that I'm like, I would never, ever say that to someone in person. Now that was me when I first started. Like I felt like I had this, the podcast gave me courage, but then the me outside kind of became the me that was on the podcast and we become the same person. And so I like how I am now because I feel like I don't have to filter myself at all in person or online. Like if you meet me in person, it's like, I had people that have only listened to the podcast me and me in person. And they're like, Oh, you're real. And I'm like, I yeah. am the exact same person that you hear on this podcast. <laughs> but to a lot of people, like they're not, you know what I mean? Like I am exactly the same. I just, I guess what I'm saying is if I'm eye to eye, I'm not going to tell you that you're being a fucking baby. Like if I had a client in front of my face right. and she was like, you know, having a hard time, I would be more likely to, to be sympathetic wow. because you're in person. But, um, the, the evolution of my brand, it's funny because it's circled back and it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's literally Melissa, 17-year-old Melissa, but healed, you know? Like, yeah. I'm exactly the same person I've always been, but I had to go all the way back around it to come to that because you, it's a lot of courage to do what you and I do and show up radically authentically oh, it's so hard sometimes because sometimes you know after I get off of these I'm like because I am a very self-conscious person like I may not sound like it but I am so I'll get off of these sometimes and be like holy fuck like did I say that the wrong way and I'm like then I have to check myself would I say that in person to somebody yes yes I would so no I did not say it the wrong way I said it exactly how I would normally say it why am I oh is it just because like thousands of people have listened to my podcast no just fucking say it anyways I don't care you know um so yeah I I remember when um my kids were real little and my son was in kindergarten and this mom said to me um do you garden and I was so excited. I wanted, a, I wanted a friend because at this time I actually did garden, but now oh, okay. I wouldn't fucking be caught dead, right? I'm going to ruin my nails. I, so she says, do you garden? And I was really excited. And I said, fuck yeah, I garden. And the second I, those words came out of my mouth, I was horrified because she was like Girl Scout troop leader, you know, and I just was like, what is she thinking of me? What is she thinking? I would be so excited if you said that. I'd be like, you're going to be my best friend. I know, right? It's so funny. And, um, and, and it's, and now it's at the point where I have to like, make sure I'm not dropping F-bombs on phone calls with teachers. Like I, and this is just who I am. If you don't fucking like it too bad, like, right. Um, but I, th- I think that there's so much freedom in that and just like literally just saying the words that are in your fucking brain. Right. And I say them around my kids and some people are shocked and I'm like, you know what? If you don't like that, I swear around my kids. I mean, I don't swear at them. I don't tell them to fuck off. Um, sometimes when I'm driving, I tell people on the road to fuck off and my kids are in the car. <laughs> um, but I couldn't be friends with somebody if they got really offended that I drop F-bombs here and there around my kids. Oh, I, t- I totally do. But same thing. That's really um, interesting the way that you put it. Yeah. Like I will never swear at them, but I swear in front of them and they're so square. I tell my son, I'm like, dude, when I was your age, you have no idea what I was doing. Like they don't know. I just like will tease them, right. but he'll, 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 um, he will send me text messages. Mom, can I have a cookie? He's 15, dude. 
I'm like, you have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and you're texting. Hey, I'm, I said, would you have a cookie? Please, for the love of God, live a little. <laughs> it's funny. I'm like, I don't know. I got such square kids. <laughs> that was funny. Well, we have come to the end of our time because it goes by so quickly. Um, what are some things that you'd like to leave the inspired women audience with? I'm sure there's things that we you wanted to talk about, we never got to. This is the opportunity to talk about those things. I don't even know what they would be. I feel like we just had such a fun, organic conversation. It was fun. This is my favorite kind. I hate having to pull things out of people. Yeah. That's my, when I interview and I have to actually pull things out of people, it, I'm exhausted by the end of it. I, but yeah. this was just so fun. I didn't have to pull anything out of you. <laughs> Good. That's exactly how all like soulmate relationships should be right with all of your friends or anyone in business or in life. I think always surround yourself with people that it just feels super like, Oh my God, I've known you forever. Right. <laughs> I think, you know, the, what I would say to the ladies is that uh, don't like with life in general, I think we want to compartmentalize things and like, Oh, I'm overweight or, Oh, I'm unhappy or whatever. And instead I like invite you to take a step back and just look at the broader picture and, and see that there just, I'm suggesting there might be more going on there. You know, like for a lot of my clients, I will, you know, I market everything um, like weight loss, but I'll tell right. you what, 90% of the work we're doing is mindset stuff. Right. But they don't think that's what they need, you know? So yeah, I say- Marketing to what they want, they think they need, but in all reality, they need the mindset work because they all do. I mean, I give them, I give them the food stuff too, but yeah. that doesn't matter if you can't do anything if you don't do the work, right? Right. So I think just being curious about any, anything that's coming up for you is will keep you open to possibilities and growth. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.